0: Listener production.
1: Hi guys, today's challenge is all about that core. Ooh,
2: I don't know what my hair is doing there, but that's okay. Steph Claire Smith's beaming, beautiful face smiles at me most mornings when I'm working out. Where I am sweaty, messy, and panting for breath, she kind of breezes through her kick workouts, seemingly showing me what's possible. Want to get kick fit? We'll show you how. But Steph isn't your average model turned fitness influencer. Along with her 1 million plus followers on social media, Steph has a quiet and steady maturity about her, especially given she's only 27 years old. She is also acutely aware of the trappings of the modelling and fitness industries and the pressures. That they put on young women. No matter how skinny you get, no matter
1: what kind of aesthetic goals you reach, or whoever you perceive as perfect looking, everybody has insecurities.
2: My name is Jamila Risby, and welcome to the weekend briefing. Later on, Tate McGregor will join me for the weekend list, where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat, and listen to. But first, here is my conversation with Steph Claire Smith, a new mum whose business partnership with best mate Laura Henshaw is going from strength to strength. Steph, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. I am so thrilled to have you. Now, you are a relatively new mum, congratulations. I wanna start by asking, how has it been adjusting to parenthood during
1: a pandemic? I've gotta say, and this isn't just to, you know, toot your horn or anything. I did say this when we had you on the kick pod as well, but your book, The Motherhood, truly did get me ready for being a new mother. Good. I I'm so glad. <laughs> no, it's been amazing. We've been really, really fortunate. Uh, Harvey's a very healthy, happy boy. Obviously, as we've had our own challenges with it, particularly being in lockdown and him not getting to see family and friends as much as we'd obviously hope in this time. But I think in a silver lining, I th- exposed to it all is that we do have so much downtime and alone time together as a family at home, um, which is also kind of nice in this time. So he's almost five months old. So I am a new mum, but it also, I can't remember life without him.
2: (laughs) Yeah. They become very normal. I remember thinking, it was probably around five months after my son was born, like, what did I used to do with my time? Like, what did I used to do with a whole weekend stretching out in front of me? When I didn't have someone to look after.
1: Yeah. There's moments where we put him down for a nap and Josh might have to go out and run an errand. And, you know, I realize, oh, I, I can't just go for a walk if I wanted to right now because no. I can't leave him alone. <laughs> like, obviously, um, little things like that. It's, um, it's interesting. It's like when you first got your driver's license as a teen and suddenly you had this freedom it's like that's now it's reversed yeah (laughs) you don't have that freedom anymore
2: as a community we we rightly focus so much on new mums but becoming a father is also an enormous transition and I wanted to ask what you've noticed observing your partner becoming Mm. a
1: dad I'm super fortunate with Josh he's extremely flexible with work and so he's really hands-on with Harvey Um, he helps out a lot and he is he's just the best. I think he's such a great dad. He loves it. And he he hasn't really struggled much with it. It's mainly just lockdown, I think, in conjunction with being a new dad. I think when lockdown doesn't exist, you know, he could still get away and like see his mates and go off and shoot something or do some work. But at the moment, being that it's all he is doing, you know, just being a dad at home, because um, there isn't a lot of work on for him. I think that in a way is definitely affecting him and like he he loves every second of it. But I think when it's all consuming, I mean like even you know, for mums, I think it's really important that there's something else that they can put their mind to when you're being a new mum. Like for me, I'm I'm so fortunate I can still work on kick. You know, I'm definitely not working on it every day like I was prior to having him, but still being able to dip my toes, I think, into work. I've still got that attachment to my life before being a mum, whereas Josh at the moment, it's, it's all dad. It's, it's, that's his entire life. It's been a hard thing
2: for women to articulate for decades, right, mm. that you can love a little person, you know, more than you've ever loved anyone before and at the same time you still need a break from mm. them and you still need to define yourself as a person in the world separate to them and that is really hard to do in a pandemic. Mm. Now, you're a model. You also run a business that's focused on health and fitness. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy changes your body and it changes your body immeasurably. How did that make you feel?
1: So I think um, an important thing to point out was that prior to pregnancy, I was in a really, really good space, I think, with my body image. And years ago, I had a really terrible relationship with food and exercise, and it was a real journey to kind of get to a point where I am now where I have got you know, my own perfect balance, um, when it comes to food and exercise. And I appreciate my body on a deeper level than just what it looks like, even, being that I'm a model that I've put that aside, it is more important to me um, to focus on a kind of my mental state as opposed to what I look like every day, which, you know, was my focus for a long time. So prior to pregnancy, I was in a really good space. And then I think because of that, when I did get pregnant and I obviously knew of the changes that were going to happen, not all the changes, look, I wasn't expecting to get, you know, dark hairs on my butt or like (laughs) pimples everywhere on my body and all these different things. But I was really (laughs) sweaty. Like I was a very sweaty person when I was pregnant. A hundred percent. I started, I feel like I got more BO than, you know, when I hit my teens, Mm, mm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but the obvious changes, like, you know, obviously, you know, putting on a little bit of weight or getting a bump, those kind of things, I kind of knew that they were going to happen. I thought that was really inevitable. Um, I was really, really fortunate, um, to feel really well in my pregnancy. So I stayed quite fit and moved my body when I could. And, you know, my balance look at eating was definitely, I don't know, maybe more, more, even more balanced with junk food, but I just went with the flow. And, you know, if I really craved something, I just, I just went along for the journey of craving it. And I think Because of all this, just going with the flow kind of attitude and feeling really good about myself prior and expecting those changes, they didn't make a huge difference to my mental health or the way I looked at my body, really. I I found it more fascinating and exciting. And I just thought, wow, the woman's body is bloody incredible what we can do. And I just, yeah, I was really fascinated by the whole thing. I think, though, where it did affect me was when I had to stop exercising and I, I wasn't able to move my body. And as I said, I move my body for my mental health and it makes me feel amazing. So that's when I did start to feel a bit different and I didn't feel like myself, which in turn did make me look at myself differently, even though my body didn't really change. I mean, I was in the third trimester, so obviously my belly was getting bigger, but I, I was worried about more stuff or like picking on myself a little bit more. And I think I was just getting over it. To be honest, I think everyone <laughs> to the later stage of pregnancy, get over it. But, um, yeah. And then the postpartum journey has been pretty similar. Again, I will point out, I'm, I've been really fortunate to um, be able to get straight back into exercise as soon as I got clearance. And um, I mean, I was really, I've been really soft with myself on that journey. I haven't wanted to push myself or I'm in no hurry to look a certain way or anything like that. For me, it's just, I can't wait to feel as strong as I once did because that is what empowers me and, and motivates me. But yeah, I've, I've stuck with a pretty good relationship when it comes to actually how I, how I feel about the way it looks and everything like that. I, I feel pretty proud of how I've been able to do that.
2: So you've been modelling since you were quite young and yeah. you mentioned that, you know, you had always had to focus on how you looked and thinking about how your body presented to the world. What kind of impact did that have on you? Because I think about myself as an ordinary-looking teenager who was, mm-hmm. you know, nothing special and certainly didn't have people wanting to photograph me other than mum and dad. But I fell victim to that in a massive way, particularly Mm. as a teenager but well into my 20s and to be honest beyond that, I really struggled with thinking that I had to look a certain way and be a certain way and I, I think it meant an unhealthy relationship with food at times in my life and also an unhealthy relationship with exercise at times in my life how did that manifest for you having that external gaze Mm. really explicit in your life from a young age?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up really confident in myself and a lot of that was kind of instilled in me, um, from my parents and mainly my dad, just to be kind of unapologetically myself. So my whole life I've had, you know, confidence really. But I think uh, like everyone, um, you know, I went through stages in high school where I wanted my body to be different, you know, for me actually in high school, cause I was really lanky and sporty. Um, all I wanted was a, a belly. So my belly ring didn't look weird with my abs <laughs> and I wanted like bigger hips and bigger boobs. Like that's, that's what I, I wanted then. And then as soon as I hit modeling, you know, suddenly this really skinny, lanky body was quite appealing. And I signed, um, with my agency when I was 18. And so I I was really late with, um, when I got my, my curves, my curves came in later. Um, and so my first couple of years of modeling was when my body started to change and I suppose develop into more like what it looks like today. And that was, weird for me, I think, because that's what I wanted when I was younger. And then suddenly it was something that I shouldn't have, or, you know, that I should try and keep my measurements down to this, this point that was almost childlike. Um, and that was really weird. And I, and I did kind of get lost in that for a while. I moved over to the States and that's when it, my relationship with my body did get bad. And it was because I was with an agency over there who, you know, didn't accept me for me and, um, did make me feel like, nothing was going to happen for me over there unless I listened to them and, you know, changed the way I looked. And because I was just so excited to be over there and uh, really wanted to make it happen, I did pick up some really unhealthy habits. And I did look at food and exercise in a completely different way to how I did when I was growing up and how I do now. And it wasn't really until I realized that I was no longer confident, you know, I would take, so long to get ready to walk out of the house because nothing, I didn't look skinny enough in anything I put on. Like I just got changed so many times and you know, I'd go to a casting and I would have no confidence in myself and just wouldn't believe, I was like, why am I even here? It's not going to happen for me. And I think I also ran into some, you know, supermodels, really well-known supermodels that I looked up to as an, as a model and saw them talking about themselves in this negative way, as they were looking at themselves in this mirror. And I was looking at them like, what, if you think that, like, what hope does everyone else have? And I think that's when it hit me that I realized, you know, no matter how skinny you get, no matter what kind of aesthetic goals you reach or whoever you are in in the world, whoever you perceive as perfect looking in whatever way, everybody has insecurities. You know, nobody looks at themselves and thinks, you know, I'm absolutely perfect. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you do have that kind of relationship with yourself, all power to you. I think that's bloody incredible. But It is really hard to get a relationship where you absolutely think everything about you is fantastic. And I think what that did for me, that journey, whilst I, you know, wish that, no one really has to go through having bad habits with food and exercise. And, you know, that's what we try and do with kick is try and help women and young girls to avoid that and, and to really just move their body for how it makes them feel and eat well for how it makes them feel rather than how it looks as much as we want to avoid that. I think for me going through that did, did open my eyes up, I think. And, um, I think having that experience, I mean, it was the biggest driver to, to how Kick started with Laura it was because we, we both went through something similar and wanted to make sure that we could help other people through that kind of struggle. Um, but yes, yeah, so it was something I needed to go through, but, <laughs> um, I, and I think a lot of women do really, um, but what it's made, the difference it's made in me now is now when I have a healthy relationship, with myself, or I can, you know, eat food and not think twice about it, um, or look in the mirror and say something positive as opposed to negative. I realize how far I've come, and I don't know. I just feel it, it feels really, really good. I think that's an
2: awesome story, and that idea of beauty standards being so exacting. I think it's easy for those of us who don't have the kind of career you have to kind of point and say, "Well, she she would never be unhappy," mm. you mm. know. Uh, whereas, to be honest, we're all victims of this patriarchal idea of what Mm -hmm. is feminine, what is beautiful, and Mm -hmm. it hits everyone uh, Mm -hmm. regardless of how you actually look. I remember years ago, um, over a decade ago, being in India where my family are from, And this was before Western beauty standards had fully been embraced in India like they are now. Mm. Um, And I remember going over and my family being so excited and telling me how beautiful I was because I was so fair skinned Mm -hmm. and I was so chubby and they were just like, oh, so beautiful because at that point in time in India, that was Mm. the epitome of beauty was Mm -hmm. to have enough meat on your bones that looked like you had money. To eat mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and for you to be fair. And I remember sitting there thinking about whatever diet I was on at the time and my fake tan in my bag and being like, this is very confusing. <laughs> Oh, a
1: hundred percent. And it, and it is, if you look over the ages, there has been many different kind of, you know, body types that are celebrated by society as as what, you know, it should be perfect. But really, I think that just goes to show that we're all so unique and we're all going to look different. And, you know, you could follow my exact diet and exercise regime and not look like me. And that there's a point to that. And I think a lot of people, I think, have this misinterpretation around eating disorders and stuff like that, thinking that, if you're really, really skinny or underweight, they're the people with eating disorders. Like you can't look any other way, but there's people who are size 12, 14, 16, who have eating disorders, obviously like any size can have a bad relationship with food or exercise. It's really important that not only do we embrace people who feel comfortable and confident in their skin, no matter what they look like and and celebrate that and make sure that, you know, there's someone to look up to in every shape, color, everything, but also don't just judge a book by its cover and don't think that because someone looks, um, I'm putting quotation marks, but normal to you doesn't mean that there might be something deeper going on in their life. They might not actually have that, that really good relationship, um, with food and exercise. So we're just going to be really, I think, delicate around these kind of conversations and, and judgment, I think on people's bodies. (laughs)
2: Tell me about keep it cleaner. Tell me about the aha moment when you and Laura realized this was something you wanted to do.
1: This started with an ebook. Basically, we wanted to put together some healthy recipes that, you know, didn't have the calories that that wasn't the concern for people that they, the recipes were made up of ingredients that could be, you know, bought from a supermarket. You don't have to spend all this money at a health food store. And And the reason why it all started like that was at the time, you know, we'd just kind of, we were on our, the start of our journey on our way out of our own kind of you know bad relationship with food and exercise, and for us it was the industry at the time was very much focused on diet cultures, fad diets, quick fixes, challenges, um, very aesthetic, like you know look like this or do this for five minutes and get abs. Um, and then when it came to food, it was like, if you were going to be healthy, everything had to be organic and everything was going to cost you hundreds of dollars to create. And it probably wasn't even going to taste that nice anyway, because it's so, so <laughs> healthy. Um, there was nothing really in the middle, um, that kind of just took it to basics. Like when you think back to I don't know, eating with your family and your, your mom, just cooking a meal, using a normal amount of olive oil and salt and flavors and all that sort of stuff that, makes food amazing so we just kind of took it back to basics and I think why it resonated with a lot of people was it made healthy living look sustainable and accessible um and that's all we've tried to do even with the app and everything that we keep putting in there it's all about just making sure there's something for everyone because everybody's idea of healthy living looks different like everyone's balance is different some people like to work out 6 to 7 days a week others it's twice a week others it's just walking and then when it comes to food you know i like to have chocolate literally every single day but it's because in my life i've gone through a stage where when i cut things like that out it just turns into binge eating at, at some point and i and i just don't have any control and so i've learned how to have balance and manage that it's just healthy living doesn't have to be hard. That's And that's the underlying message really.
2: I think that's an awesome message. Kik is now one of the fastest growing fitness subscriber sites in the country, which is just incredible. <laughs> if you had to attribute the success to
1: one primary thing, what would it be? I think our community is the most Well, first of all, it's the most rewarding thing for us and for our team. I think whenever we make a change to the app or, you know, add some new content in and we hear instant positive feedback from the community or even constructive feedback, it's so rewarding and it's the best feeling in the world knowing that there's these people who are just as passionate about your thing as you are. And I think it is one of the things that definitely keeps people hanging around for more or coming back because they're just so awesome to be around.
2: (laughs) I've never started my own business but I've worked very closely with two women who have, Mia Friedman and now Helen McCabe and one of the things I've noticed about both of them is that they've had to learn to trust their instincts Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and that that isn't always an easy process, especially when you're branching into aspects of business that you're less familiar with, that you haven't been trained with. And we've all got them, whether it's the tech or the finance or the creative or the marketing, whatever it is, we've all got things that we haven't necessarily developed a skill set or a confidence in before we hit it. What's that gap been for you where you've had to learn to trust your gut?
1: I mean, it's something Laura and I still find ourselves rem- reminding ourselves of because we haven't always done that. And, you know, I think now moving forward, I feel like we've had way too many times where it's kind of hit us and we've been like, okay, next time we really need to just trust our gut. Like we're usually always on the same page as well. So it's been funny when we look back at decisions we've made or paths we've gone down when we both revisit it. We're like, we actually both did question this. Like, why did we, why did we go down it? Um, and it's not to say that, you know, we have major regrets because we don't, um, it's that classic, you know, lesson. There's no such thing as failure because you learn from every mistake. And as long as you pick yourself up and you don't make the same mistake again, um, it's fine. And it's great actually to fail in business because you learn so much from it. But it is funny when it comes to trusting your intuition and, and trusting your gut, because I think, I don't know what it is, but we just naturally question ourselves. And I think, you know, for Laura and I, we, um, didn't run a business before Kik and even Kik started as just a passion project, not a business plan so much. So, um, I think to this day, we still have these insecurities almost and voices in the back of our heads, it's kind of saying, oh, yeah, your gut might not feel good, but so-and-so have said that this is the right decision and, and they've been in this for longer than you, so maybe you should just listen to them. Um, and I think that we've now built up enough courage and confidence, I think, as businesswomen to realise that we can make these strong decisions by ourselves, um, you know, definitely take advice and we always reach out to, you know, different mentors and everything for help, of course. But, you know, to trust our gut, because at the end of the day, when it comes to kick, it's it's our baby. No one knows it better than we do. Steph, what's next for you?
2: Because I feel like you are one of those young wonder children who has just achieved <laughs> so much so fast. But I know that also comes with a lot of pressure. So yeah. when you look forward, what do you want out of the next 5-10 years?
1: I actually love this question. I um I've lived a uh, pretty extraordinary life. You know, I'm 27 and the last nine years of my life being in the modeling industry and, and working on Kick, I've got to do some really incredible things, um, you know, travel to some incredible places and really hustled and worked really, really hard. And the thing that I'm most excited for at the moment is working on Kick and getting it to a point where I mean, just keep, we're we're already proud of it. So I, I don't want to say working in, to a point where we're proud of it because we're certainly proud of it now. But just continuing to, I suppose, prove to ourselves that we can do this and that it is incredible. And I think just keep working on kick. definitely. That's going nowhere right now. <laughs> There's no plans. Um, but other than that, honestly, I'm loving being a mum. And I also... I think what lockdown has taught me is that there is a big part of me who loves the slower paced lifestyle. And so I think outside of Kick, whatever happens with Kick, I will be ready to, you know, settle a bit and be a mum and enjoy family time. Yeah, I've been craving it (laughs) for a while. Yeah, I think all of
2: us have slowed down at least just a little bit. Steph, thank you so much for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for my conversation with Steph Clare-Smith. You can find her everywhere, guys, including on your supermarket shelves. Don't go away. Tate McGregor will be here in just a moment with The Weekend List. Welcome, Tate McGregor. The weather is warming up properly now. I can see summer on the horizon. What are you up to this weekend?
0: Okay, well, I am not outside. I'm going to recommend you a little watch. <laughs> You're going to be in front of the TV for this one. <laughs> well, this one is a three time Emmy winning series. So it's not going to be a bad time. It's an American comedy. It's called Hacks, and it's about a legendary Las Vegas stand up comedian called Deborah Vance. And she's on the outs of the industry. She She's outdated and her longtime running residency gig at a casino is threatening to cut her dates. So she enlists a disgraced millennial comedy writer who was cancelled because of a tweet and the two work together to revive Deborah's set in the hopes that they'll extend her residency or she'll be picked up by another one. But along the way, it's just like this really beautiful, unlikely female friendship, uh, cross-generational and is like a boss... Employee dynamic, but friendship runs through it. It's really beautiful. So you can catch that one, Hacks on stand. Why are you here? I got a call this morning saying that you wanted to meet. Well, Jimmy sent you against my wishes. <sighs> Good luck with your career, honey. <laughs> bitch. Excuse me. Did you have something else to say? Yeah. So cool they let you move into a cheesecake factory. Is that where you wait
1: tables? That seems like a better fit. I'd
0: rather sling bang-bang chicken and shrimp all day than work here, you classist monster. <laughs> We can start
1: early tomorrow.
2: I binged this one a little bit earlier in the year and I loved Hacks. I think it is rare that we see fully formed older women characters on screen. Uh, they tend to be bit parts or they tend to be a joke, whereas this is such a good exploration of what it means to be someone who has loved her career her whole life, but is facing a relevancy in the industry that she's a part of. So I second that nomination slash recommendation. I am also going to recommend some TV because as I said, it's getting sunny. So why wouldn't you stay inside and binge some more television? We haven't done enough of that this year. I want to recommend, And the great Kiwi bake-off. That's right, not the great Australian bake-off, the great Kiwi bake-off. Guys, this is so nice. It's so New Zealand. It's just warm and friendly. The cooks are good and impressive, but they're not so good that it feels out of reach. You finish watching every episode of this show, it's as if you've had a warm hug from your grandma, and you've also got a little bit of confidence. You're like, yeah. I could make an opera cake. I could make a croissant. And the truth is you can't. But give it a go because it's really good fun. 10 out of 10 for this one.
0: Do they make any New Zealand sweets? Like do they do like lolly cake or pavlova if we're calling that a kiwi dessert you know is there anything like that
2: not so far but I will
0: keep you posted
2: the youngest contestant is like 19 the eldest is late 50s it's a true intergenerational show my six-year-old has loved watching it with me there's no cash prize like they're on this for the love of baking they're not doing it for any other reason they're just there because they love making a cake or a slice
0: Jam, okay, I want to recommend a podcast before we get out of here. This week was a huge week in music because the man, Ed Sheeran, put out his album Equals, which has been highly anticipated because since his last album, you know, he's gotten married, he's had his daughter Lyra. A lot of things have obviously shaped his world. He was super close to the music titan Michael Gadinsky who passed away earlier this year. COVID's happened, his touring has stopped. So everyone knew that this was going to be a really pivotal album for Ed's discography. Well, Jamila. I had a chance to chat to him last week for Essential Vinyl, which is another podcast at Listener, where he got to run me through a few of the songs on his album. So it's the singles that we've heard like Bad Habits and Shivers, Visiting Hours, but also the new ones like his new single Overpass Graffiti... (laughs) also talked about his favorite as well as his family and his love for vinyl. One,
2: there's no skips. You put it on and you listen to it. Also there's so much in what is on side A and what is on side B. So Equals was actually made specifically for vinyl. Equals originally was 17 tracks and then when I uh, gave it into the label they said this is going to have to be a double vinyl. And I went, oh well that's no good. How do I make it a single vinyl? And they said chop three songs off so I had to be brutal and just chop three songs that I loved.
0: So essentially, Ed hosts this entire special dedicated to his new album, Equals. So if you want to immerse yourself in some great music, some even better storytelling, and know the reason behind the songs, go check out the Essential Vinyl Special with Ed Sheeran only on Listener. I think you're really going to get a thing or two out of it.
2: And look at us integrating with the rest of the podcast because I am about to (laughs) recommend a recipe from Keep It Cleaner, which is Steph Claire Smith and Laura Henshaw's app. They have this great recipe on there and this doesn't sound very clean, you guys. Apparently it is. Tastes not clean. It's called Chunky Chocolate Chip Peanut Butter Cookies. Why wouldn't you want to get amongst that? You get chocolate chip, peanut butter cookies every day of the week. But these are really good. They've got beautiful oats in them. They've got almond meal. They use maple syrup as the sugar. I love baking. And usually when you give me the clean version of a recipe, I kind of put my nose up at it because let's face it, sugar and butter make things taste better. But on this occasion, I reserve judgment. These are delicious. I'm bringing that along to my next picnic. ASAP. That is all we've got time for on the weekend briefing everyone we hope you have an absolutely beautiful Saturday and Sunday ahead of you if you want to make sure that you never miss an episode of the weekend briefing or indeed the weekday briefing Monday to Friday then you should subscribe on the listener app or you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts while you're there and I know we always ask this but this week I want you to do it okay I want you to leave us a rating and a review because it does help other people find out about the briefing and the weekend briefing. And hey, I'd like to be more popular. Take care of yourselves. We will see you bright and early Monday morning where we will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.